What up, Ring Crew Army, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows. And on this episode, you guys are getting a review of AEW Dynamite. And that's because AEW Dynamite opened up with the legendary Blue Justice, Yuji Nagata, taking on the New Japan Pro Wrestling IWGP United States Heavyweight Champion, John Moxley, in the opening minutes of AEW Dynamite. I will get into that and I will also get into all the controversy that the Young Bucks are definitely doing on AEW programming. And then we'll take a look at the main event because the middle stuff of AEW is always misplaced. The middle portion of AW Dynamite, no matter what week it is, it is always misplaced and it is always unorganized. That might be the word, unorganized. And as always, thank you for tuning in to all episodes of the Square Circle Podcast and hearing me talk about professional wrestling, my super passion. It's what I love to do. It's what pushes me through the tough days and lets me know that you guys enjoy what I say and... I will continue to do this. And if you guys love what I do, make sure to share it on all social media platforms. And you guys will know how to do that at the end of this podcast. But currently, guys, let's get right into it. The opening match of Yuji Nagata versus John Moxley. I honestly think that that match should have went on a little bit longer. If that match was over on the New Japan soil, then it would have definitely went 40 minutes, at least 40. And it would have been a really good match between the two. It would have had a longer story drawn out. This was a little too fast paced for my liking, but you understood the urgency and the hard hitting style that New Japan Pro Wrestling has mixed in with John Moxley able to adapt to any style that is given to him. I will not get into the match breakdown only because I did not write any notes on it. I watched it as a fan and I was grinning from ear to ear knowing that not only Nagata was in an AEW Daily's Place arena, but he brought along Ren Narita from New Japan Strong. And as I'm saying this, I still have a cheesy smile on my face. Ren is really one of the best young lions that New Japan Strong has, and he's holding it down over there in New Japan Strong, even though I really think that he could definitely do well in New Japan currently. Team him up with Yuya, and we're going to have a great tag team. Both of them will be very dominant over in New Japan Pro Wrestling, but with travel restrictions and COVID and stuff, I can understand why it may be a little hesitant to send Ren over there to New Japan and have that tag team set up. I would love it, but it's not going to happen, which is cool. Back to the match of John Moxie versus Nagata. I honestly thought that the pacing made sense in terms of story. There were certain aspects that I was hoping Nagata would get the victory over John Moxley and bring the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship back home to New Japan Pro Wrestling just because I want the rest of the wrestlers who are on the roster who are busting their ass to be in creative storylines for that title. Imagine if he brought it back. He'll definitely be given a hero's welcome if he brought the championship back home to New Japan. And maybe we could start seeing some storylines between Gabriel Kidd, Suji, Yuya, 
Hell, even throw Hinari in there to try to get a singles championship title. Even the great Okan, throw him in there too. And maybe he could pick up the championship title. Anyone that's really just wrestling for the sake of wrestling to just put on these shows, put on these amazing performances is all good. But sometimes you might want to increase your value within any company by going after a championship title. So the more championships we have back over in New Japan Pro Wrestling gives all the rest of the guys who are just wrestling for the sake of wrestling something to do other than that. And they could formulate their own narrative so that way fans could get behind them and they could understand deeper into their character mindset, into their motivations, into their overall worldview of why they're doing this. Sometimes championships make a wrestler and depending on how you treat it, when you become that champion of that title of that division sets the tone for not only what you want to achieve with it, but the standard that you hold the division to so that when they come after you, because you definitely have a target on your back by holding a championship title It's going to be great storytelling and both guys are definitely going to give it their all to make sure that these stories are top notch. So that's why I'm so in favor of having the belt off of John Moxie, just because if he's not going to ask New Japan, if he can defend it against the AEW crew while he's there, because we don't know when he's going to head back to New Japan in order to have proper matches over there because he's soon having his first child, which makes all sense that he has to be home for the child. But other than that, he should probably ask if he's able to defend that championship title against AEW members. So that way the title won't be forgotten. We have interesting stories here in the United States. And then when he's able to bring it back, that IWGP United States heavyweight championship title will have so much prestige. And then I won't be upset. I just want to make sure that most championship titles, when wrestlers hold them, they built up that prestige. They don't just let it sit there. And I know that the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship title is a bit of a mess when it comes to the prestige just because of the situation and the times that we're in. And you can't necessarily do what you would normally do with regular championship titles that are in their respective companies. So if anyone ever wondered why I wanted the belt off of John Moxley, like if you follow me on Twitter at Marie underscore shadows, which you guys should. There are a lot of tweets by me where I was very pro Nagata. Nagata has to win. Nagata needs to bring that championship over to New Japan Pro Wrestling. And if you're listening to this podcast, you just got my explanation as to why I was so pro Nagata winning the championship title and not having Moxley hold it any longer. And we can quickly go over the New Japan Strong tag team match that had Ren teaming up with Nagata to take on John Moxley and Chris Dickinson. So that tag team match was on New Japan Strong. If you guys do not have a subscription to njpwworld.com, I highly suggest that you get a subscription. It is only $9.99 a month. 
And it is better than a WWE network. Taken from someone who worked with WWE as a WWE network logger. Good times. But that tag match was a little bit underwhelming. I don't understand why there's always this massive amount of hype behind something that should be a clinic, that should be a classic, that should definitely be six stars, ends up being eh. Ends up being, oh, we're not going to give you our whole hand. Like, this is going to be a simple eight, maybe 10-minute match, and we're going to do the least amount of stuff in here, and it's going to seem one-sided. There's a difference in quality between New Japan matches and New Japan Strong matches. And I'm still not exactly sure what it is. It might just be the fact that they give these guys at least 10 minutes or less, depending on their rank in the system. Like, they probably have like an imaginary rank. It's not like the AEW rankings where you know where people stand. But the quality of matches from New Japan Strong and New Japan Pro Wrestling are definitely different. This tag match was nice to watch it was fun to watch and you got to experience Ren versus Moxley for the first time and I know that Ren could definitely give John Moxley a run for his money Ren is really good Ren is very heavy-handed and he's definitely he's definitely a technical wizard and he could definitely take John Moxley to the limit I would love to see Ren Narita versus John Moxley sometime in the future we also got to see a little bit of John Moxley versus Nagata before the AEW Dynamite one-on-one match. And it was really good to see them in the ring for the first time. It was really good back and forth. A lot of form exchanges, a lot of strong style. And I think that's where sometimes this stuff needs to stop being predictable in terms of we're always going to get the forearm exchange And we're always going to get a chop exchange, but it's very predictable on like where it happens within the match. In this tag team match, I really wish there was a little bit more done rather than it being like eight minutes and Ren taking the fall for the match. Even though it was expected that the young lion will probably take the fall. But imagine if Nagata would have gotten the win over Dickinson. That would have changed atmospheres, maybe. However, the post-match, after Ren taking the fall, Nagata went and did a crossface to John Moxley and wasn't going to let go. So the other young lions had to come in and take Nagata off of John Moxley. And you would think that by Nagata doing that, Nagata being a 53-year-old veteran in the sport of professional wrestling, you would think that on AEW Dynamite, he will take the belt off of John Moxley because he's a veteran and also that Nagata attacked Moxley at the end of their match on New Japan Strong. But then again, that's a WWE tactic, if you guys really think about it, where the opponent attacks the champion sometimes it's supposed to be the other way around the champion attacks the opponent maybe John Moxie should have did that so that way the hype can go further into AEW Dynamite even though the hype was already there and that felt better overall the tag match on New Japan Strong was decent and the one-on-one in AEW Dynamite that opened up the show was decent. I was hyped for it. 
I enjoyed it as a fan. I wanted to see Nagata win the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship title to take it back home, but that's not happening. Thankfully, he got the chance to face John Moxley in the States, but it could have been a little bit better. It could have been drawn out a little bit better, and it could have breathed a little bit better. Which brings me to my next topic for AEW Dynamite. The Young Bucks versus SCU. This one had a stipulation on it. If SCU lost, that would be the end of the tag team of Frankie Kazarian and Christopher Daniels. As much as we don't want to see them break up, maybe it was time for them to go to separate ways because Daniels is getting a little bit older. Kazarian is getting a little bit older. Kazarian is so underrated as a professional wrestler. Kazarian is one of the best. I don't know if he's going to slow down in wrestling, but he's definitely not going to be teaming with Christopher Daniels anymore. That's right. Spoiler alert. SCU loses... In a very dominant way, where the Young Bucks totally demolished SCU in that match. Everything was so quick. All the spots were so quick. There was nothing to breathe. It's like you were watching a tag team match all on one breath. And then as soon as the one, two, three happened, that's when you can let that breath go. And I think that did everyone a disservice because as much as Frankie Kazarian was showing his talents in that match by taking on both Matt and Nick at certain times, you know, it showcased Kazarian as being one of the best as a singles competitor. But at the same time, you knew that both of them, meaning Kazarian and Daniels weren't going to win. So he did all that. And then all of a sudden it turns to Daniels and they basically make a mockery out of SCU by doing all those spots going super fast pace. And there was this one weird angle where, in my opinion, Frankie Kazarian stood outside the ring way too long where he could have helped stop the match, continue the match. And maybe we could have had some type of light at the end of the tunnel, some type of hope to progress story. But no, he came in a little too late. They got the one, two, three, bam, SEU is no longer. And then we went to commercial. We couldn't even celebrate and shed a tear with SCU. My biggest problem with this match has nothing to do with the competitors. It has everything to do with the narrative. And the narrative is starting to get convoluted on the Twitter side, because there are fans on Twitter who uses certain phrases as if like they fully understand what they mean. So the Young Bucks have been doing this heel thing for a while now. They finally was like, we're going to turn heel. We're going to turn against the fans because the fans have always turned against us. And the fans have always been talking shit about us. Guess fucking what, guys? Fans and people alike talk shit about everyone and anyone. We've all done it. But that's neither here or there. So now that the Young Bucks feel comfortable, even though sometimes this whole heel gimmick is kind of cringy depending on the situation and what I'm trying to talk about. This thing in particular that they do in the match against SCU is that Christopher Daniels is definitely bleeding. 
He's bleeding a lot. That blood got on Matt's Nike sneakers, which is red and black and white. And so Matt goes, I'm sorry. I love you and super kicks him. It is basically an ode to Ric Flair versus Shawn Michaels in Ric Flair's retirement match at WrestleMania. That... That moment had me choking up. This moment that Matt does to Christopher Daniels is basically a parody. The story behind it is that Daniels is getting older. It's his career on the line. So why not super kick him? Bam, that's it. He's done. I totally get it. But it kind of felt rushed. There was nothing to slow down at that point. You still held on to your breath at the beginning of the match and you couldn't really absorb what was happening because everything was so quick. Nothing was slowed down. If they slow down the match, if they slow down what they do, then stories like this won't go over people's heads and people won't be so upset. It gets to the point where Twitter and the wrestling community is telling other people, oh, the Young Bucks are working you. Just because Matt Jackson recreated something from WrestleMania between Ric Flair versus Shawn Michaels does not mean that they're working the fans and there's this thing online where it's like, if you hate the Young Bucks, the Young Bucks are working you. The only people that the Young Bucks are working are themselves. The only reason why people are upset at the Young Bucks and this whole new heel thing is because those people believe that AEW is supposed to be the alternative. AEW promised everybody that they are going to change the world. When they left New Japan Pro Wrestling, they created that beautiful shirt that says change the world. But honestly, guys, what have the Young Bucks really changed? Yes, they created a new wrestling promotion. Yes, they are EVPs. Yes, they're running their own company. Congratulations to all of them for running their own company and doing their own thing and still being independent artists in professional wrestling. But have they truly changed the world of professional wrestling? Kenny Omega is our belt collector. This quote-unquote forbidden door is open between Impact Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling. And that's about it for now. But in terms of giving us what we want, what we felt like was the alternative to WWE, where our intelligence will not be insulted, yet then the Young Bucks are trying to recreate their highest peak when they were relevant in the 2000s. And that time was a different wrestling fan base. And if you're a newer wrestling fan that's just tuning into the world of professional wrestling and you didn't get the chance to see it, one, you should try to find archives to just watch it and absorb wrestling history if you're serious about being a fan. And two, the Young Bucks should have reinvented themselves for a newer audience so that way they won't get this backlash and take it out on fans who have valid criticisms and people who just want to understand why are they doing this? What's the point of this? How are you progressing professional wrestling to be better, to stand on its own two legs if you have to go back and time travel to try to make yourself relevant and try to get yourself a hot topic deal again? 
like let's really think about it the young bucks came in they're wearing all these different types of fashion styles they're showing off their nikes they're showing off all their name brand stuff that means that they want to attract the fashion influencers of the world they want to attract the sneakerheads of the world. They want to attract the materialistic people that are out there that will spend the money on the merch, that will spend the money on this or that, whatever they create. Because yes, I'm not going to deny that the Young Bucks don't make money. They make a lot of money with everything that they've done for all these years. But again, where is this change the world attitude where is this growth that we should be seeing from the young bucks because right now this is their company the young bucks kenny omega cody rhodes and tony khan should be pushing aew to the forefront to be the true alternative and that doesn't mean that we can use the forbidden door as the excuse to cover up the bad problems that aew has you could definitely see that the EVPs are tired. And when people are tired, they don't do their best work. Let's look at it this way. Before the pandemic, AEW made sense in terms of storyline progression and obviously storytelling. And that when it led up to a pay-per-view, because AEW only has four pay-per-views within the year, when those stories came up to the pay-per-view, it made sense. You want to see that pay-per-view. You want to be excited for that pay-per-view. Now we're heading to Double or Nothing in 2021 in a pandemic. And this is probably the most sloppiest put together pay-per-view there is. And here's why. It honestly felt like nothing was really thought out in order to meet the weeks that were coming up and everything felt so fast and that, bam, this is what we get. It is a stacked card. These guys can definitely go. The wrestlers are amazing. The AEW roster is one of the best rosters to actually look at and be proud of. And I'm proud of each and every AEW wrestler out there. What I'm not proud of is the childish antics that has to be done in order to get over in order to live the same life you lived years ago when it's 2021 and it's totally different and there's nothing new the fan of the young bucks i don't feel like being told in their new bio that they have a new bte episode up go check it out and go say some hurtful comments because that's what fans always do i don't feel like reading that I don't feel like being alienated away from a really good tag team that could tell a really good story in the ring and really pace themselves. I honestly want to be a fan again of the Young Bucks and Kenny, but I'm going to be here on the sidelines and I'm going to be sitting out, but I'm still going to give you my critiques on them. The ways that I think that they could definitely change is by getting serious, leaving all the stupid gimmicks behind. And, you know, I like gimmicks here and there, but not to the extent of trying to work yourselves into a corner because you don't know what else to do because you guys want to be on top for the time being. And maybe this is me getting worked. And in the end, when this whole entire story is getting done and it's over with, they're probably going to take a step back and let other people shine. They have been letting other people shine. It's just that no one gets enough time in order to have people shine. 
AW Dark and AW Dark Elevation have nothing to do with having people shine. We're not talking about that. We're only talking about AW Dynamite. And I know that my thoughts are probably sporadic. And that's only because I'm not writing a script for this. You guys are getting me at my raw emotion. There's just certain things in wrestling where it needs to be addressed. And I don't know how much longer the Young Bucks are still going to go with this because if you think about it, every time you open up the Twitter app, you see some type of argument. You see some type of toxicity happening because people want to argue over whether the Young Bucks doing something is a work to the people that are getting upset or if the Young Bucks doing something is right, wrong, oh, you're not a fan or whatever the discussions are, but they usually end up being arguments. And don't we as a wrestling community every single day say, be better, do better. You don't know what someone is going through mentally and the words that you say do affect people. It's okay to be heels in professional wrestling, but not to the point where almost everybody is home. We're still in a pandemic. People are on their phones 24 seven and they're in constant arguments where there is no end solution other than muting and blocking just because you have an argument about the young bucks. And I don't see that as a victory. I see that as a petty thing to happen, especially when we're trying to be a better community overall, trying to be a positive community overall and spread good wrestling, good storytelling. It's not good storytelling if you have to open up the app and see arguments and see your mutuals, you know, saying things without tagging other people in it. And it's mainly these people think that the young bucks are right. These people think that the young bucks are working these angry people over here and it's a never-ending fight and i think that we should definitely stop that and the young bucks should definitely grow up a little bit and realize that because of their platform they have a bigger responsibility and i'm not trying to police anybody or anything like that but just take that as a consideration and looking at it from the outside That's why sometimes I don't necessarily post a lot on social media because those arguments are painful to read. Those arguments are stupid. We shouldn't be arguing about professional wrestling. We should be talking about professional wrestling in a very positive way. And we should definitely be promoting professional wrestling in a positive way. Nothing with toxicity, nothing with, oh my God, the Young Bucks wore the latest fashion. How could they? Oh, the Young Bucks mocked. Ric Flair versus Shawn Michaels, stuff like that. Stop poking the bear. Stop poking the fans and get to work on creating the change that you wanted to see in professional wrestling. Because obviously the three of them, the elite, Kenny Omega, Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson had a fucking dream when they left New Japan Pro Wrestling to do it on their own. And this is what we get. We're basically getting bullies. At this point, the same fans that bullied the Young Bucks and saying a lot of mean and hurtful shit, they're turning it back on us because that's how they're going to get heat. And that's the wrong kind of heat. And that's the stupid kind of heat. People are going to tune out and people are just going to forget about it. And then they're going to want to watch something else. AEW right now is really strong. I'm still going to be watching AEW, but I'm doing it from afar. And the only reason why this whole Young Bucks segment is long is because it bothers me. It truly bothers me and I haven't let it all out yet. 
and you guys are going to have to deal with it. Welcome to the Square Circle Podcast, where I, Marie Shadows, definitely empty out my thoughts because it's a lot more better this way. And it's cool if you don't agree with me. That's totally fine. As long as you can understand certain points where it's going to backfire on the young bucks. Let's get back to that topic of working the fans. So what the young bucks do are not working the fans if people get upset. There has to be a genuine reason why they're getting upset. And it's probably because they no longer want their intelligence insulted. And the kiddie stuff that they do that's seen on WWE for so many years And then now we're seeing it again. And it's like, you guys were supposed to be the alternative. That's probably why they're upset. No fan cares about the material stuff that you wear. Just go out there, have a match, tell me a story. Let me be invested. But let's get back to the term of working the fans. Here is story time, guys. So as you know, JD Alpha is a pro wrestler here on the Indies for New York City and also New Jersey and soon to be going worldwide. And he had a rumor slip out and the wrestling fans within New York City and New Jersey heard about it. I am not sure if you guys heard about it, but before JD Alpha got accepted into Too Good, he was known on the indies as the professional wrestler who never played WWF No Mercy, a game that was made 20 years ago. Hell, even Brandon Cutler and Peter Avalon of AEW called JD Alpha out for not playing WWF No Mercy. So wherever JD Alpha showed up, meaning if he showed up at BWF, which is Bronx Wrestling Federation here in New York City, the fans constantly chanted, play No Mercy. If we showed up in Jersey for Intense Wrestling Alliance, which they're going to have a show next month in June, They also chanted, play no mercy. And then when he showed up in Titan Championship Wrestling, the fans also chanted, play no mercy. After a while, it got to a point where he decided to just tell the fans it's not that serious. But in the back of his mind, you guys know that that bothered him so much. Did he play WF No Mercy? Well, it turns out, in fact, he did. And this was proven when he joined up with Too Good not too long ago at an IWA show. Which I have all the footage there on RavageLands.com if you guys want to check that out. So once he joined Too Good, the team that never bullied him into playing WWF No Mercy, he basically said to everybody that he has played it already. And he brought a... Nintendo 64 cartridge of No Mercy to the ring to hit his opponent with it. Now, that type of storytelling that lasted a couple months, and I know that people who listen to this podcast probably never knew of it. Now you know. And that is called working the fans. You tell them something, you have them hook, line, and sinker, and you know that gaming and wrestling go together so it works. And you work them into believing that you never played it, and then that's a bad thing. Then you have the fans at the show chance, play no mercy, only to reveal that you already played it, and that it wasn't that serious, and that... None of those fans support ever meant anything to you just because they wanted you to play a video game. You know what the young bucks are doing to work the fans are not that 
what they're doing is just working themselves into a corner that they're not going to know how to get out of when it comes time to fully close the chapter on the elite, the good brothers, this whole bootleg bullet club bullshit. It's going to backfire on them because they don't know where to go. Their priorities are not set. They are not organized. They probably didn't think this through. And every single day, they're probably like, let's throw this against the wall and let's see if it sticks. That's what it feels like. It feels like there's no direction on what they're doing with this. And honestly, it's probably annoying to just know that you could be having great memories for 2021. You could be making fantastic stories that rivals everyone else. But we're getting reduced storylines that should not be the case. That is not changing the world. And that's not creating anything new to stimulate our minds. Of course, there's going to be fans out there that agree with what the Young Bucks are doing. And that's fine, too. But I ask you, do not be blind to the flashiness. Do not be blind to toddler storytelling. Make AEW work for better storylines, more intensity, even more creativity. Because right now is just going to go through the motions until we get to traveling and evolving one day out of this pandemic and it might pick up. But they really need to get a hold of their priorities and be organized. And that's going to be everything I say on the Young Bucks in this whole entire podcast. Very quickly. After that, we get a Weird Cody Rhodes promo. I'm not even going to go into it. And then after that, we get a pinnacle and the inner circle. And I felt that at blood and guts is going to be the end of it. But no, the inner circle comes out with a little bit of bubbly beer truck and hose down the pinnacle. And we finally get a rematch, which is going to be stadium stampede number two at double or nothing i honestly think that for a cinematic match like stadium stampede those should be trickled throughout the years and months not necessarily make it feel like back to back because we just had a good one like how do you top the first one how is number two going to be good like Stadium Stampede should be a special gimmick cinematic match for particular situations. After that, we get a interview that had Britt Baker, which Britt Baker is great on the mic. And then we have a women's match where Thunder Rosa took on, I believe her name is Jasmine Allure. Forgive me for messing up her name. Thunder Rosa needs a bigger platform and a bigger time slot and a bigger spotlight for AEW. And then after that, I believe we get the main event, which is Miro versus Darby. Finally, someone took the belt off of Darby. I'm a little on the fence about Darby, even though I seen him live at Evolve when he took on Chris Hero before WWE bought up evolve i just need darby to value his life and then i think i'll be okay 
So Miro finally takes the TNT Championship off of Darby. I playfully online, again, if you're not following me at Twitter, at Marie underscore Shadows, I basically said that now the TNT Championship title becomes the never open weight championship title. Take that as you will. And that is how I'm going to end this podcast episode. I ranted way too long about the Young Bucks, but I had to get all of that out of my mind because most people on Twitter are already made up in their opinions, in their facts. And whatever you tell them, whatever you say, it really doesn't matter. It goes over their head. If you're not agreeing with them, you're against them. So I tend to use my podcast for those type of conversations that people are not ready to have about the Young Bucks and look at it a bit deeper than normal. My whole thing in professional wrestling is that I want to see it thrive. I want to have fun. I want to be able to tell stories to listeners who may not get it, who may not understand the story, or they might have missed something from two weeks ago. And they're like, oh, so this is how it is. I'm recapping for them how we got here. I can't do that with the Young Bucks and I can't do that with Kenny Omega. My most fondest memories of telling you guys a story story is when we had Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page. That was a fun time for me because I got to deep dive into these guys' histories and let you guys know some information that you may not have not known, especially when Heyman and Page teamed up with the Young Bucks to capture the six-man titles in Ring of Honor, and they carried that round, challenging everyone and anyone. So something like that I can't recreate right now because the stories in AEW are, are all sloppy. They are sloppy. And they need a writer and they need someone to overlook the stuff because it can't just be, let's just do what we do on the indies. You're on national television. It needs to be a little bit more professional. So I love to tell stories and I really can't do that at the moment with what's happening with AEW, but I could always give my criticisms and my suggestions on how to improve. And the first step is growing up. And making sure that the wrestling business is moving in a good direction so that way the younger generation can keep that going forward. And we have a lot less toxicity, not only on social media, but also in the wrestling world. I love wrestling too much to let it see it go down this way. And I will forever talk about it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is definitely an uncut version of me talking about AEW Dynamite that happened this past Wednesday, May 12, 2021. You got my thoughts on Nagata versus John Moxley for the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship title. You also got my thoughts on the Young Bucks and what they can do to actually change the world. And then the in-between of AW Dynamite that makes no sense and should have been cut short. And then quickly our main event, which had Miro taking on Darby. Miro took the TNT Championship off of Darby. And now we have the reign and terror of Miro. If you guys enjoyed my review... These are the ways that you can show it some love. Head over to anchor.fm forward slash square circle podcast. You could do a lot of things on the anchor side. You can leave me a voice message to air out your opinions. I'll definitely hear it, play it on the podcast and talk about it. If you guys enjoy my hard work, it's analyzing professional wrestling. There is a tip button. Make sure to click it. and You could tip me whatever amount of money you want. It is not mandatory, but it does help support the podcast 
And then over on the Twitter side, if you guys want to retweet this podcast episode, by all means, do so. And then also make sure you are following me at Marie underscore Shadows, where we could talk about wrestling 24-7. And if you want to take it a step further to learn who Mr. Too Good JD Alpha is, who Marie Shadows is, and who Ravage Dragon is over on RavageLands.com. That's right. You'll get writing, wrestling, and gaming all in one website. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to an episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows, and I'll see you guys on the next one.